Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Thank you, babe, for that confession. I can call her babe because she's my wife, so it's all right. Not to get awkward there, but thank you for that confession. Um, Thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. My name is Dwayne. I'm one of the pastors here at the District Church. Um, I just want to share just a, a little bit about just our story and, and kind of how we've weaved into even just the fabric of this, uh, this facility called Refinery 46. Um, the District Church, by name, definition, is just a community within a city that's marked by a particular characteristic. And so for, for us to be the District Church... Um, for it to be a church means that we are a community of believers marked by the gospel. We're a community of people who are coming together to be able to share life and the gospel with one another, to be able to, to lean on the truth of Jesus in every facet of our lives, um, with our marriages, with our kids, with our work life, with how we school our children, um, not in like basketball, but like how we educate them, like, like in, in all things Jesus has an answer for us and he has a design for us and he has a way in which is going to lead us to glorify him and to enjoy him in all things. And so um, that's who we are as a community of faith. That's who we are as a church. Um, but at the same time, we, when we started looking for a facility, when we started looking for a neighborhood, a, a, an area within the city in order for us as a community to be able to, uh, and, and not to say this in a weird way, but to infect um, to be able to come in and to begin providing for it redemption and restoration because of the truth that we know. Um, we, we, we spent a long time praying about where that area would be, what, what that location would look like. And so we, we knew that we weren't going to buy a plot of land and build a church. Um, and primarily because if we were going to be inside the loop of Indianapolis, there's no land to buy um, in order to build a, a facility for yourself. And so, so we had to really start strategically thinking through what does mission look like in the city and what does a home for the church or more so an outpost for the church going to look like? And so as we were praying through that, I had all these grand ideas of, of finding some vacant grocery store and, and throwing in all kinds of different types of businesses in order for us to, to kind of duly uh, use the facility to be able to provide jobs for the community and so forth. But then I realized like, someone's got to run all that and then that shouldn't be me and so so that idea kind of got shot down really quickly um but ultimately we ended up meeting um thank you to brooke we ended up meeting with the owners of this facility refinery 46 and just started to figure out um that that we were very closely aligned in what we wanted to see happen within this neighborhood of, of south broad ripple um we we quickly saw that that there's a lot of need in this area. Um, I mean, you can go over one block down on 46th Street and you're going to see a lot of vacant buildings. Um, you're going to see a lot of run-down buildings. You're going to see a lot of run-down homes. And when they purchased this facility two years ago, I mean, this used to be an old Double Eight Foods. If you remember Double Eight Foods, they used to be 7-Eleven before there was like the National 7-Eleven. Um, well, anyways... Uh, they purchased this building from Double Eight Foods once they closed down and over the last two years have just been renovating this. And they've been kind of dreaming up like what is this facility going to be 
for kind of a, um, a beginning for this community, a beginning for this street, 46th Street. That's kind of why they included 46 in the name refinery. And so what we found was the owners are actually, like, they're both believers. Um, they're both solid believers. And, and refinery actually came from the iron sharpening iron. Like, it's a refining process. And so what they saw that they wanted in this facility were multiple companies who had, it was specifically kind of within home services, who were going to be able to um, improve the neighborhood around them. Um, uh, it's kind of in the idea of like Martin Luther when he shared the gospel with a guy with a shoe salesman um, and, and the shoe salesman was like, okay, now that I've become a believer, I've become a Christian, what should I do? And Martin Luther responded to him, well, what do you do? I'm a shoe salesman. Well, make a great shoe and sell it at a fair price. Like he said, continue to do what you do, but do it for the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of, of building character and improving the community around you and creating a better life for people around you. And so the same thing is here with the Refinery 46 is they want businesses within this facility to be able to improve how people go about heating and cooling, how people go about security systems in their home, how people go about um, X, Y, and Z. I mean, brewing beer that's on the backside of the refinery. Like, all things to all people, how can we improve what it looks like to better our community? And so as we started having conversations with them, they, they were literally like, well, we never actually considered a church being a part of this, but we don't feel like we're sacrificing our vision for the facility by having a church come into this because where we do want to see gentrification in this community, we want to see gospel-centered gentrification. We want to see, just, just because we're beautifying the community by improving homes and, and businesses, we also want to see the gospel be able to come in and provide the spiritual renewal that's ultimately going to come to this neighborhood in Indianapolis. And so that's kind of us as the district church, our partnership with this facility is to continue to see from a gospel standpoint how we can come alongside these other companies and these other organizations and begin blessing our community by not only just providing them great heating and cooling, but providing for them conversations that lead to, hey, this is what Jesus has done for me. And this is what Jesus has turned around in my life. This is how Jesus has met me in dark places um, and has provided for me hope that I could not find in anything else that I was looking for. And so I, I bring that up because it really hits well with our um, series that we're going through right now, which is the book of Acts. And so if, you, if you're not familiar with us, we, we preach expository preaching. So we go through books of the Bible and we go verse by verse because we want the text to speak for itself rather than... Um, Dwayne or Josh coming up with um, illustrative ideas on how we can kind of keep you captivated because the longer you get to know me, you'll realize I'm not that creative. Um, and so we just preach the word of God and, and let it do what it does. Um, so we're in Acts chapter 9 today. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Acts chapter 9 um, is where we're going to be at. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there's hard... Um, hardback black ones around you if you don't own a bible that's our gift to you and so you can take that with you as well but acts chapter 9 we're going to be in verse 23 um, starting from there acts chapter 9 verse 23 and we're going to read down to verse 43 and then i'll go from there luke says when many days had passed the jews plotted to kill him. That is Saul, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. 
the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And when they were all and, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, that's Greek-speaking Jews, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. I would just call me Tabitha, like if you're going to translate it that, call me Tabby, whatever you want, but let's not go with Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray again. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to freely be able to come into a place to gather together in worship and to be able to open up your word that you have inspired, that you have written, that you have breathed out in order for us to be um, encouraged and edified and, and to be able to grow into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we, as we unpack this scripture today, we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith in you, that you would strengthen um, our love and our affections for you, that we would have a deeper abiding relationship with you than when we first walked in here. And so, Lord, we're, we're praying that your Holy Spirit would do that in this, um, in this place today and that it would, he would be doing that in our hearts and our minds um, as we see your truth and as we see your mighty works that, that you accomplish. May you do a mighty work in us today as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The main thing I want you to be encouraged with this morning by the truth from this text is that Jesus simply turns things around. Like that's what Jesus does. That's what he does best is taking something that's broken and turning it around and fixing it and making it whole. 
And so this is why I brought this up when it comes to, to our community around us is because, yes, we are a small church. And if we were to drive down 46th Street and look at all the need and look at the brokenness and look in, into relationships and look into lives and look into situations and circumstances, we would immediately become overwhelmed with our group of 40 people. If we're looking at God calling us to make disciples and meet needs and, and provide resources to the community around us, it, it's very easy for us to all of a sudden kind of be like, Lord, I, I have no idea how we're going to accomplish this. But this is one of the things I love about the Lord is he says, you don't have to. I'm not asking you to empty your bank account. I'm not asking you to create a business that's going to provide clothes for everybody. What I'm asking you to do is trust me that I'm the one that's in the turning around business. To trust me that I'm the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That I'm the one who has all the resources and at any willing moment I can just disperse to you resources in order to meet needs, in order for me to receive glory and for them to receive joy. And so my hope for us today is to not necessarily feel like it's our job to run out and feel like how we can go and heal people. Or how we can bring people back from the dead. I mean, half our church, I got text messages this morning. Hey, our, our five kids are sick. And, and I was like, as I'm kind of reading over this this morning, I was like, I'm going to try some things. And so I like literally texted them back. I was like, hey, in the name of Jesus, just rise up and walk. And like Tim, Tim responded to me. He was like, dude, what is wrong with you? And I was like, hey, I'm just trying some things, man. Did it work? Are your kids better? He was like, no, there's snot everywhere. And I was like, hey, I just... I just thought it might work, all right? And so anyways, like it's, we can try some things, but ultimately we're trusting Jesus to do what Jesus does best. And, and that strengthens us, that, that provides faith for us to be able to give him glory and in those terms receive joy and, and faith within that. And so when we look at these situations, there's really three situations that I want to look at. I want to look at Saul again, even though we covered him last week. I want to look at what Peter does when he goes and, and heals um, this person in Lydda, and then also going to Joppa and healing Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas. They're more of a healing, a, a resurrecting of Tabitha there. But Jesus is just exercising his power. He's exercising his authority. He's showing us what he has control over that we don't have to worry about having control over. And so like thinking about Saul, and I know we covered him last week, but just kind of giving a, a quick picture of him. Like there was no one, no one in first century Jerusalem who hated Christianity more than Saul. Who was uh, uh, not only just against it, but, but ferociously against it who was zealous to destroy this faith, who was zealous to, to literally go into any city and not only watch people stone Stephen, but heartily approve of the execution of Stephen. I mean, he's like, and I said this last week, like it's, it's hard for me to imagine being in a room and watching someone get pelted to death with rocks but much less be sitting back with popcorn and coke and like applauding it as if I'm at a, at, at a sporting event. And this was Saul of Tarsus. And, and what we know of Jesus' power is Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus and he looks at Saul and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Which again, I love because what we know from, from Scripture is that Jesus has already ascended back to heaven. 
So the people who are actually experiencing the persecution is, is the people of God, the church of God. And Jesus shows up saying, why are you persecuting me? Which means to persecute the church is to per persecute Jesus. But that should actually be comfort for us because what Jesus is saying in that statement is, I'm identifying that my body, my presence is residing within the people who are making up the church of God. And so to persecute them is to persecute me. But also, in order to turn things around for them is me coming in and doing that. Providing peace for them, providing comfort for them. Whatever God would do for Jesus, Jesus is doing for us because he is identifying himself as us. We now, as, as I quoted this last week, Galatians 2.20, no, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer Dwayne living the life of Dwayne, but it's living the life of Christ because Christ is living through me. So it's no longer about what I just think I want in life, but rather, Christ, what do you want in life that's going to ultimately lead to my greatest joy, my greatest satisfaction, living life to the fullest, living life abundantly, as John 10, 10 says. This is Jesus in us as the church of him. And so Saul is, is ravaging the church, as it says, breathing out threats of murder against the church. And Jesus shows up to him on the road and basically says, nope, not anymore. Not anymore. You're going to go into Damascus. Like, he didn't even ask him, hey, would, do you want to come down front and, and receive me as Lord and Savior? wasn't even a question for Saul. Saul, no, 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 you're going into Damascus. You're going to meet with a guy, he's going to come and he's going to heal you. Some weird things are going to fall off your eyes and you're going to be healed and he's going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. He's going to show you exactly what you are to do and, and Paul begins doing it. He just begins preaching boldly the word of God in Damascus. He doesn't wait to go to seminary. He doesn't like wait to go through the membership process. Like He just begins preaching the gospel and people start getting saved. I love that. I love that. God turns around a situation for the church that honestly for us could, could be in kind of that fatalism idea. And what fatalism is, is just this idea that these are the way things are going to be and it's never going to change and, and we're just kind of going to be stuck with it. This is the way I'm going to be, this is the way my spouse is going to be, this is the way my kids are going to be, this is the way my job's going to be. It's frustrating, but you know what? This is, this is just how it is. This, is. this is how life is. Like, Have you ever met people like that where it's like really difficult to be their friends? Because it's just always this constant cycle of pessimism. Well, it would be really easy for the church in the, 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 constant, or, uh, the, the circumstance of Saul ravaging the church to be like, well, this is apparently what church is going to be like. Like our lives are going to be threatened at all times. We're going to be scattered. We're going to have to constantly be moving from our house to another place because there's literally authorized letters out there for people to be able to come and drag us out of our homes so, like, maybe this is just the way it's going to be. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to change that for you. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to take their leader, and I'm going to change and transform his life. Not only am I, like, it would have been completely fine for God to just wipe Saul out. Man, you're an enemy of mine. You're killing this thing that I'm trying to spread in advance. So I'm just going to take you out. But no, instead of him being the, the greatest advocate against Christianity, he becomes the greatest advocate for Christianity. Probably one of the greatest missionaries that we've ever had. Preaching the word of God boldly. And I, and I love what he, what he ultimately says in Galatians. 
I was set apart for this before I was even born. Not only was I set apart for this, but, but I consider, as he says in Philippians, I consider everything else in, li- in life to be rubbish compared to just having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we know from Saul was, I mean, he was in line to be one of the greatest Jewish leaders in first century. I mean, he was set up to have anything and everything at his disposal. And Jesus turned that completely around. And when Jesus turned it completely around, Saul then looks at this situation and he says, man, if I would have stayed in my original life, I'd be miserable. Because I would not know Jesus. So Jesus comes in and he turns this guy around named Saul and makes him Paul, makes him the apostle, makes him this guy who, who loves Jesus without... I mean, you can't... This is why he wrote in, in first, or Philippians 1.21 for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain. You can't touch him. Well, so we're going to imprison you. Sweet, you got some guards? I'm going to preach the gospel to them. Well, Saul, we're going to leave you alone. Okay, well, if you're going to leave me alone, then I'm going to go and I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. Well, Saul, we're going to kill you. Okay, well, to die is gain. I get to go be with Jesus. Like, you're not going to hurt me in anything that you try to do to me because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christ is all sufficient for me. He has turned around my entire life. And so all of my hope, I'm putting all of my eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ because of what he has accomplished for me what he's forgiven, how he's restored me, how he's brought me into this life abundantly. And the thing I like about Saul slash Paul is I don't think any of us in this room would want his life. I mean, if we really think about it, I mean, he goes down that list, shipwrecked three times, finally gets to land and gets bitten by a snake, He's lashed 39 times, constantly persecuted. I mean, there's a lower amount of a basket to get out of this city. I mean, like none of us are walking out of Refinery 46 today worried about any of those things happening to us. But yet, Saul looks at his life and he's like, man, I would not trade anything. I mean, even when, when talking about suffering... And Jesus says, you're, you're going to suffer for my namesake. Paul considers that a privilege. Wait, wait, wait. You mean I get, to, I get to actually experience something that Jesus experienced? I get to share in the sufferings of Christ? Yeah, that's exactly what you're going to do. That's amazing. Like, who is this guy who's like, man, if I get to experience suffering the way that Jesus experienced it, that means I get to experience something that Jesus experienced it, then bring it on. Like, no, we're not praying that prayer, right? (laughs) No one's like, Lord, I just, man, today I really want to experience some suffering that you experienced. We don't pray that. But the strength and the sufficiency that God provides to him as he's going through those sufferings, man, Paul's like, hey, I I want to know that. I want to experience that. 
Now, I'm not saying go pray for suffering, but what I am saying is when suffering comes, know that it is an opportunity that God is using to display his strength in your life, to love you and care for you and provide for you something that you would not have been able to experience if the suffering was not present in the first place. Don't despise the dark days. Don't despise the dark days. God's producing in you a glory that you would not be able to experience if it weren't for that suffering. And then he goes into these two cities. Well, actually, let me go back to verse 31. It says, Throughout the church of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Let's just remember, before Saul was converted, the church is being scattered persecuted, fearing for their lives. And then post-conversion of Saul, we now have, as it says, for many days he's preaching, we have peace amongst the church. For those who kind of were believing in the fatalism of, man, this is just what our situation is going to be at all times, man, Jesus immediately can come in and turn things around. Jesus can immediately come in and, and lift the circumstances Yes, he might bring suffering, and then he'll also relieve that suffering at times. There's peace amongst this church who have been experiencing persecution ever since Jesus was crucified. The book of Acts is written to encourage us again and again and again that Jesus, who began to do and teach on earth, is now alive with omnipotent power and continues to do what he began to do and teach when he began to do and teach. He's just now working it through our lives. He's working it through each one of us. He's, he's performing these miracles. In verse 32, Peter goes down to Lydda, northwest of Jerusalem, and he finds a paralyzed man named Aeneas. And in verse 34, he says to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And Jesus breaks into the drama of Aeneas' life and turns everything around for him. This guy, for eight years, eight years, has not taken a step and Jesus comes in and provides a miracle for him that, that he couldn't do. I mean, there, there was no like, hey, let me just go get some physical therapy. Like, let me go get a surgery done real quick. We're talking first century Jerusalem here. And Jesus steps into his life and turns things around. Then in verse 39, Peter goes down to Lydda in Joppa on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea where a disciple named Tabitha just died. Verse 40, Peter puts all her friends outside and kneels down and prays. I love that piece. Man, before we try to do anything for Jesus, we better be on our knees praying. We've got to be on our knees praying. Because it's ultimately not us, right? It's not us transforming people's lives. It's not us growing people from one degree of glory to the next. It's not us who are helping people become more like Jesus. God is the one who not only saves and justifies, but is the one who sanctifies people. 
And what I mean by, by that is, is when God justifies, he, he, he comes into your life when you are a sinner guilty of, of doing wrong against him. And he's the only one as judge and defendant by looking at Jesus and saying Jesus comes into the courtroom and looks at you and says, you know, whatever their penalty is, I'm taking that on the cross. And God the judge looks at Jesus and bangs the gavel down and says, okay, they're pardoned, they're free to go. That's what it means to be justified. Justified is a legal term. And so Jesus comes into the courtroom and frees us, pardons us from our sin, guilt, shame, whatever it is that we carry based on the things that we have done wrong, past, present, and even future. I mean, there's even some of us who already have shame and guilt about the bad decisions we're going to make tomorrow. We're already thinking about those things. And Jesus is coming, I'm going to turn that around for you. I'm going to come in, I'm going to provide salvation, I'm going to provide justification. And not only that, not only are you free to go, because here's what I think we struggle with in Christianity so often, is we receive salvation, we receive forgiveness from God. We leave the courtroom as though we are pardoned and free to go, but as soon as we leave the courtroom, we then walk right back into, now how do I earn it? How do I keep it? How do I make sure God is still pleased with me tomorrow like he is apparently today? And that's not the gospel. The same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that is perfecting you daily. The same gospel that's growing you. The same gospel that's pouring into you. This is who Jesus is. This is how Jesus loves. This is how Jesus teaches. This is how Jesus cares for people. This is how Jesus serves the least of these. And so the more we see Jesus and the more we see him in the scriptures and the more we get those scriptures into our hearts and into our minds, the more God is using that to sanctify us, to shape us, to set us apart from our flesh to be more like Jesus who is our now identity. So God's doing that work in us. I don't have to muster up a greater prayer life in myself. I don't have to muster up within me a greater understanding of the gospel and the scriptures. If that was on us, Christianity would be the most daunting thing that exists. Because when we look at Jesus and his perfection, and then him to tell you, okay, become like him in your own strength, I'm not signing up for that. But what I would submit to and surrender my life to is Jesus saying I am perfect and I'm calling you to also be perfect but I'm going to do that work in you the same Jesus who justifies us is the same Jesus who sanctifies us and will one day glorify us amen and for those of us that I like I mean this week I was joking with Kelsey like my back has just been hurting. I've not even done anything. I haven't gone to the gym. It's not like I've got aches from working out. Like, it's just my back just hurts. And it's because I'm not 20 anymore. Like, once I hit 27, things just kind of go into coasting mode at that point. And, and it's just a slow descent. Like, like this is what life is. And so one day, our broken down hoopty bodies that are breaking down will be replaced with glorified bodies that God does a huge turnaround for us. 
And so we get to trust that. We get to trust exactly what God's doing. And, and what I love about what he's doing in Scripture is that he's providing for us examples of what he's doing for us daily. We get to look at this text, and we, we, don't, we don't have to look at this text and say, oh, man, that's awesome, God, that you did that 2,000 years ago. Great for you. Great for Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas. No, we get to look at this and say, God, man, I want, I want to see some things turned around in my life. Like, like what, what are you turning around in my life? It's not even having to say, I want to see you do it. Like, God is actively doing it. He who began a, a good work in you will see it to completion. And so he is working in us to change and transform us every single day. He's turning things around in our lives. And so really the challenge for us today is to, and I know we can hear the kids, just ignore them. It's probably mine back there, but what we can, what we can trust today is for one, and as, as, as Kelsey shared this in the confession, is, man, let's just, let's just confess that idea of fatalism. That, you know what, this is just the way things are going to be. Things are always going to be difficult. Things are always going to be frustrating. And, and I'm, don't hear me going health, wealth, and prosperity on you here. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there are times where God allows us to be able to go through suffering in, a, in incredibly intense, difficult moments in order for him to step into those just like Jesus stepped into the story of Lazarus. And Jesus knew exactly what it was about to happen. He knew that he was coming to throw a party. But what was the first thing that he did? Man, he went in and he found the family weeping at a funeral and Jesus entered into their weeping and mourning and he wept alongside of them they would have never experienced that side of Jesus if Jesus just came in and said you guys why are you crying you have little faith watch what I'm about to do like that's almost like a sarcastic Jesus like they they wouldn't have gotten to see the soft tender side of Jesus who steps into their mourning and says I want to come alongside of you and I want to just hug you in this moment. And now let me go turn it around. Lazarus get up and walk and he comes out. Jesus is doing that for us in the moments where we're having incredible intense difficult situations. Jesus is coming into the scene and he's saying, I want to hug you. I want to love you. I want to care for you. I want to show you that I'm shepherding you right now. I want to weep with you. This is difficult. I know it's difficult. And then Jesus is also at times going to come into the story. And he's going to say, hey, I know this is difficult, but watch what I'm about to do. I'm going to turn this around for you. I'm going to turn this around. And what I want you to do is I want you just to receive the joy that you're about to experience. And in receiving that joy, I want, you to, I want you to worship me. I want you to glorify me. Because that's the full expression of you receiving joy is then worshiping. We rob ourselves of experiencing full joy if we don't turn it into worship of God. I mean, the easiest way for you to understand that is when was the last time you saw a good movie? Did you keep that to yourself? No, you had to go tell somebody. That's, that's an expression of a joy and pleasure that you received. i got to tell somebody. 
So when God does something and turns it around in our life, the expression of worship is, God, I gotta, I gotta tell you how awesome you are. I know you already know, but I gotta, tell, I gotta worship you. I gotta, show, I gotta give myself to you and say thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. And not only do I gotta tell you, I gotta tell other people. Because if this is not only for me, but it's for them, then I want to tell them. I want to share this with them. I want them to receive these hugs that Jesus gives and this love that Jesus shares. This justification and sanctification and glorification that Jesus provides for us. I want people to experience that since that is the greatest thing that I've experienced ever in life. I consider everything else to be rubbish. Translation, dung. In comparison to knowing Jesus. I want people to know that. So what I want you to know today that I've been able to rest in this entire week is that Jesus turns around our situations regardless of what they are. We've got enemies in our life. Don't even worry about who the enemies are. Jesus can turn them around. Man, let's, let's pray for them. I actually didn't finish this point last week and it frustrated me up until this point, so now I get to share the point. But I had you highlight something in your scripture last week. Does anybody remember what it was that I had them highlight? It's all right. I still love you. I had you highlight Stephen praying for those who were persecuting him. Lord, do not hold this against them. Seeing God enter into the story of Saul and change and transform his life was the answered prayer of Stephen. Man, the power of prayer for those who are actively against what we believe, who are actively combative, and maybe even belittling of you because of what you believe. Pray for them. God, don't hold this misunderstanding against them. Don't hold these boundaries that they've put up, these walls that they have, this um, terrible view of church that they possess, like what, whatever it is that's keeping them from you, God, don't hold this against them, but God, rather come into their life like you did Saul on the road to Damascus and just tell them, you're mine. You're mine. That's what he did with Saul. God, do that with the people that are in our lives who are in oppression against you, opposition against you. And then pray for God, just like he did with these two healings, Aeneas and Tabitha. Man, as we look at our community around us, God, heal the homes that are around us. Heal the marriages that are around us. Heal the families that are around us. Heal the situations of, of just dark things that we cannot even con conceive. Heal these things around us. So let's just go to him in prayer. And that's what I want to do in this closing time, and, and, and we did this last week, and, and I want to do it again. I know it's awkward for some people, but I want to get in, in groups of four to five people, and let's just, let's just pray, God, whatever the situation looks like, and whether it's in my life or in someone's life that I know, God, I want to see, I see you in Scripture turning things around for people. I want to see you turn some things around in my life and in the lives of those around me. So let's group up in this time. I'll go ahead and have, have the band come down uh, whoever's left in the band. I think they went to rescue some kids, but... Um. So let's just spend a little bit of time in prayer, and then, uh, and then we'll close out. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. 
For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at